Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Oh, hello, friends. Just a couple quick reminders before we get started on today's mailbag episode. On Sunday, March 5th, Kristen and I will be live on stagecom slash bufferingcast, performing all 12 songs from season one and some of the new songs. So if you didn't get a chance to come to our uh, season one celebration in Brooklyn in December, or you did and you just can't wait to see it again, uh, join us for a live performance of all those songs. Hooray! Stageit.com slash bufferingcast. Yes. Did you say it's at 1 p.m.? Sure didn't. Well, I'm saying it. Thank it's at you. 1 p.m. on March 5th, Pacific time. 1 p.m. Pacific. That is a Sunday. So hopefully you'll be around. Yes. Five short, short days later on March 10th, we are going to be doing a Buffy watch of Welcome to the Hellmouth on our Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash bufferingcast, because it is the 20th anniversary of the first episode of Buffy airing in the U.S. on the WB, and we're doing it at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I say Eastern because, like, we're all we're all putting our minds in the fact that the East Coast saw it before the West Coast, mm. so we're on your time clock, East Coast. <laughs> Truth be told, I'm always on your time clock. Um, but it'll be 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. We will all join together on Facebook, hitting play on the episode together, you at home and us at home. And we'll watch it together as one. It's going to be so fun. If you've never used Facebook Live before, you'll be able to chat with us in the stream. It's so fun. I'm so excited. Jenny's excited. Welcome to the Hellmouth. Holy shit. Woo. Yay. Welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we usually watch and discuss an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer every week, but this week we're doing something different. It's a mailbag episode. Woo! Welcome to it. Your questions answered. Your statements heard. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. <laughs> and I'm Kristen Russo. Um, and yes, we're very excited to be doing a mailbag episode. We love hearing from you all and you just, you send us questions you send us information you send us pictures of things that are wonderful like one of you sent us actually we have to put this on the internet uh one of you sent us uh pictures from being an intern on the set oh hell yeah of buffy the vampire slayer so there's just a whole a whole slew of amazingness in that email inbox and we're going to get to some emails today and we're actually doing two mailbag episodes one that you're listening to good job Uh, (laughs) and then the other is going to go to our patreon supporters the ten dollar level or higher Um, so if you are a patreon supporter look out there's another mailbag episode coming your way and in case you're panicked that you have asked a question and it will be on the mailbag episode that is only for our ten dollar patreon supporters don't fret if we have answered your question 
you will get the link to also listen to that second mailbag episode so that you never have to worry <laughs> that we've answered your question and you will never get to hear it. A worry-free environment. Yes. That's what we're creating here. We are. So let's get right to it. Yes. Um, the first email that I would like to bring to light is that when we watched uh, season two, episode one, um, I asked the question, how long can you hang upside down before you die? Uh, and someone did the research for me. Jeff H. wrote in to say, hanging upside down, I got 20 hours, but another says 24. I'd say go for 23 and see what happens. <laughs> so I'd thanks. say, like, no. <laughs> someone else actually sent, um, what's the name of the magician, the famous magician of our time? Not Houdini, but like our Houdini. David Copperfield? No, even more current than David Penn and Teller. Copper, oh, that other guy? That, the, that guy who's always doing stuff on like Yeah, like he's like, I'm in TV. Times Square in a, bu- yeah. in a bubble full of water for six years. God, what is that guy's name? It's he, David something. Blaine. David, David Blaine. Blaine. Um, somebody sent me a link to David Blaine hanging upside down for like days. Ooh. But I'm sure that he... I didn't, I don't know. This is why I shouldn't talk about it because that wasn't the email, Kristen. Stick to the script. Yes. But um, thank you, Jeff H. Um, I will be, as soon as this episode ends, I'll just um, be putting myself upside down and we'll just see how this goes. I can't wait to entertain (laughs) myself for up to 23 hours and see what happens. Um, Our next email was very helpful and informational and a light in my heart. Sarah W. wrote to us, Spike smokes the same fictional brand of cigarettes as the cigarette-smoking man from the X-Files. The brand is, of course, Morley Cigarettes. Just a fun little Easter egg Joss Whedon put in there for the fans. Well, let me tell you what. I love this. It's my favorite. It's my favorite thing. Uh, I am a big X-Files fan also. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, Brian Thompson, who plays Luke in the pilot episodes, uh, of Buffy was also the alien bounty hunter in the X-Files. And now we have another little piece of crossover mm-hmm. with these cigarettes, Morley cigarettes. Also, great, great, great. like when I was younger, I used to listen to the Bare Naked Ladies and they have a song and they reference the smoking man. And now I'm on this podcast. So there's a link for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. It's really good. It's really, really That's good. That's all I got. That's very nice. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Next, Lisa R. from Philly. I say that because uh, Philly... Philly fans are letting us know that they are from Philly when they write in after in our last mailbag episode, we talked about the fact that a lot of people wrote in from Philly. So now we have another Lisa R. I am such a huge fan of Buffy and of your podcast. I have a question. If you had to choose between being a vampire, a witch, or the Slayer, capital S, which would you choose and why? Jenny? I know my answer. Do Do you know your answer and then we can explain? Don't say it. Yes, I know my answer, but okay. I also feel like I know your answer. Well, I was going to say on the count of three, we could both say our own answers, but would you like to say what my answer is at the same yeah. time as me? Yes. Okay, I'm going to say one, two, three, and then I'm going to say the answer. Uh-huh. Okay. One, two, three. Where? What? <laughs> I didn't even think which was going to be in play. I thought it, at most... You might say vampire. No, I put a lot of thought into this. Wow. Tell Lisa me more. R. from Philly and also mm. my wife. <laughs> um, I mean, those are two different people. I'm not married to Lisa R. from Philly yet. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I picked which because I thought about it. Now, the reason you probably picked Slayer is because I often talk about my own struggles and align them with that of the Slayer. I identify with the Slayer a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. 
perhaps that's why you guessed that. But I thought, you know what? The Slayer, I already feel a lot of that pressure. You know, I feel a lot of pressure in my life. Buffy feels a lot of pressure. Slayers feel a lot of pressure. It's a lot. They're Mm -hmm. the chosen one. It's a Mm -hmm. big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a lot to carry. Mm -hmm. And vampires, as much as I'm obsessed with vampires and I love vampires, they live forever and it's kind of a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Plus, they either have to like kill a bunch of people, or they have to have a soul and like drink from cups of blood in the fridge, which just doesn't sound satisfying to uh-huh, me. Uh-huh. But a witch can really choose her destiny. Oh, like I say, her because I am a her, right? Not right because right, witches right. have to be hers. But you know, as a witch, you get to choose. You know, what kind of magic are you going to do? Evil magic? Are you going to do good magic? Right, right. Are you going to just say, you know what? I'm taking the week off. I'm not going to do any magic this week. Okay. So witches have an agency that neither slayers nor vampires can choose. Precisely. Wow. That is why I choose witch. Plus, I already think I am a witch. Apparently, I think I'm a witch and a slayer. So maybe I need to stop centering myself so much. Perhaps. In the narratives. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you've made a great choice. Thank you. What is your choice? Well, my choice. Ugh, I'm kind of torn. Here's the thing. The two things that don't appeal to you appeal to me, right? Um, I'm interested in vampirism, and I'm interested in slayerhood. Well, I didn't say they don't appeal to me. I just said, but in terms of picking, those are the two things that I'm like the most into. Okay. Um, I I really like. Why do you hate witches? I don't hate witches. Why do you hate witches? Again, I don't hate witches, but I will (laughs) tell you. I meant to say this. The last time we talked about witches at length, mm-hmm. right? Um, I meant to talk about this and neglected to do so. So I'll do it now and tell you that when I was like three, I had a dream. My eyes are so wide right now, just so everyone listening at home knows. That I was sleeping. I had a dream that I was sleeping okay. in bed. And a witch came to the foot of my bed mm-hmm. and lifted up the covers by my bare feet. Oh, no. And poured a bucket of... Like worms oh. and creepy crawlies and spiders. Oh no! Down um, in at the foot of the bed by my my bare feet, uh, and then I spent the next like m- several months sleeping with my slippers on. Oh, to protect you from the worms. So yes. So was it a stereotypical witch, or did you just inherently know it was a witch? I think I just knew it was a witch. I don't really remember the visual. That I makes me remember. think perhaps it was actually a witch. Perhaps. You know. Yeah. Like yeah. if it was like a stereotype, it was like there was a lady with a green face and a pointy hat at the foot of your bed in your dream, I would have been like totally dr- a dream. Right, right, right. But you think this might not have been exactly a dream? I think it could have been something else. Not necessarily a witch at the foot of your bed, but I think that based on the fact that you were so young and you just had an inherent sense that this was a witch, uh-huh, uh-huh. that there's something more to it than it just being a dream. <sighs> well, either way. Either way. <laughs> either way. Um... I think that has something to do with, like, a natural disinclination to be interested in uh, witchery. witchery. Okay. So what appeals to me about Slayerhood mm-hmm. is that it's righteous and that it's very, like, it really aligns with my, like, my Protestantism. <laughs> like, uh-huh. the the work, my, the attitude towards work that are that's, like, embedded in, in my DNA. Um that one must put one's head down and do the right thing and just keep going until you can't possibly keep going anymore. There are no other options mm-hmm. and no moments of rest. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, vampirism is, of course, the pure opposite of that, right? It's like whatever you want, whenever you want it, zero responsibilities, zero. I mean, 
They're just living the life, with the exception of the fact that they have to kill people to survive. They are living the life. Wow. So this for you is the ultimate struggle between my my duality. You're like, right. You're good and evil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So which are you gonna choose? Vampire. <laughs> I'm tired of working. I'm so tuckered out. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Jenny is a vampire. Kristen is a witch. All we need is a slayer. True. Well, we'll be looking for you. Well, actually, <laughs> I'll be looking for you. Jenny will be hiding from you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so the next uh, email comes from Amanda B., uh, who also agrees with me in curiosity. Why can't you see a vampire's clothing in a mirror? So she says, this episode finally prompted me to look into it. This is from an interview with Joss, as quoted in a book called Angel, Volume 1, Heroes and Guardian Angels. So this is the quote from Joss Whedon. It's the same reason their clothes turn to dust. They have a sort of aura, sort of the energy around them is affected by them. We had one line, and this is something that would have been useful in the first season that had to be cut, which was when Buffy asked why Angel appeared on film when there are mirrors and cameras and whatnot. And the answer is simply, it's not physics, it's metaphysics. And I was like, oh my God, that's such a great line. It covers everything. So this is really awesome because it actually not only does it answer the question about why can't they see their clothes in the mirror, Mm -hmm. it also answers the question of why perhaps that vampire was able to be captured on film, which was something that we just discussed. Oh, yeah. In Halloween. Yeah. Right? Yes. So this is great. This this cut line. It's not fit. It's not fittics. It's not physics. Not fittics. (laughs) Metaphytics. It's metaphytics. Yeah, so vampires are like these little black holes moving across the earth. And so when they're and close. affecting and and gently unthreading the yeah. edges of the fabric of reality around them. Yeah, which which like begs the question if Angel hugs Buffy really tightly and stands in front of a mirror, will parts of her <laughs> perhaps be unseen in the mirror? Wow, that is now I now you want to know, right? Yeah, yeah, when well, you started saying it, I was like I don't like where this is going, but now I'm into it. Yeah, just wanna. I just want to know how powerful the vampires' auras are. Yeah. You know? We need more answers. Yeah, we do. Our next email is from Lorena I. Hey there, Kristen. Hey there, Jenny. First off, I love the show. You guys are the Buffy-obsessed friends that me and my best friend needed in high school. No one understood our love for the show. Lorena I, we understand your love. <laughs> Everyone, in fact, listening to this right now understands your love. Yes. You are not alone. Uh, They continue, anyway, since you've encouraged people to write in and comment about slash correct things, I thought I'd throw in my two cents on a couple of things from season two, episode one. First of all, you guys mentioned Buffy's new haircut in reference to Sarah Michelle Gellar being in Scream 2. She actually filmed I Know What You Did Last Summer immediately following season one and before filming Scream 2. And her character, Helen, gets her hair chopped off by the killer in the film, hence the new do. If you haven't seen... And I know what you did. I know what you did last summer. <laughs> but I, I think you I think you've missed your window. You don't get to call spoiler on us if you haven't seen that movie. Yeah. And really all that's spoiled is that Buffy's hair gets cut off. And yes. that there's a killer. There is a killer. Which if who you, knows what you did last summer. Yes. And who knew what you did the summer before last. Yes. What are the what are those sequels to that movie called? Yo, I'm not sure. Oh my god. I okay. still know what you did last summer. Yes. I know what you did last summer again, again, again. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Yeah, those are them. Those are them. Um, the second thing that Lorena I wants to tell us is that 
we talked about the height difference between Buffy and Angel versus Buffy and Xander and how it's not as weird with Angel for some reason. Lorena writes, I'm pretty sure I remember a fun fact that Sarah Michelle Gellar stood on phone books or raised platforms for most of her scenes with David Boreanaz. You'll notice you rarely see full body shots of them together where you can see their feet. And when you do, there's suddenly a much larger height difference. This is another X-Files related jam because Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny are uh, very different heights and they, they used very frequently what, what they called the scully box, uh, which was a little crate that Gillian Anderson box. would stand on top of uh, when they had close up shots between her and David Duchovny. Uh, so that they wouldn't, so that she wouldn't be talking to his solar plexus, basically. I moved to call Buffy's height thing the Scully box as well. Yes, right. If Into we ever, it. if we ever talk about it uh, again moving forward, we'll call it the Scully box. Hell yeah, yeah. Because I think Scully deserves to be like the Kleenex of height boxes. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Great. Absolutely. That's a brand you can count on. Okay, so we're going to move into a more serious email now. Are Ooh. you ready? Are you ready? I am. Uh, this is from Angiles, the second time that we have had Angiles on a uh, mailbag episode. Hey so again, congratulations. Angiles. If there was an award for being on twice, you have won it. Mm-hmm. I think the award is just being on the mailbag episode again. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Angiles says... I've been trying to get my partner into Buffy with mixed success. After watching most of seasons two to four together, she enjoys parts of it, but finds some parts problematic, especially the way sexual violence or demon violence with a strong allusion to sexual violence is brushed off or treated as comedy material, and also with some of the ways gender stereotypes are reinforced and women characters weakened and sexually objectified. Also with Xander being the, all caps, fucking worst, stereotypical whiny, quote, nice guy. All of these are themes that you two have talked about, so my first question is, how do you deal with all of that and still love the show as much as you do? Because I love it so much, despite all of the problematic stuff, and I can't explain why or how. Great question this is alert. A, this is a great question. Is that your great, great question alert jingle? Yes. This is a fantastic question, and in a very timely fashion, we actually mm. have just received a gift, a physical gift, um, from Jess, who sent us um, her copy of a book called Joss Whedon and Race. Uh, it's a, an assortment of critical essays that were edited by Mary Ellen Eatropolis and Lowry A. Woodall III. Um, it's brand new. I think it was released in 2016, and um, we have not had the chance to read the whole thing yet, but I did start to read it. And was delighted when one of the first things that I highlighted, I think, serves as a really brilliant answer to this question. This book is, you know, having this discussion around racial justice. But I think that this quote is useful for this question that Angiles has posed to us. Um, and so the book reads, It may help to think of this book's work as an in-depth academic extension of investigation of implicit bias along the lines of, quote, Your fave is problematic. In that we approach this book's work believing... Quote, the fact that your fave is problematic isn't a big deal. The big deal is if you ignore it. And that last bit is taken from an essay on medium.com by Ijeoma Aluo, which was called Admit It, Your Fave is Problematic. Um, and so like, I love this quote. And mm -hmm. I also, it really was just so timely uh, with Angile's question to us. And I think that what's really fascinating about our opportunity here to look at this show and to say like, hmm, well, what does this mean? Why is this like this? And, you know, several of you wrote into us talking about our um, analysis of like Inca Mummy Girl and the conversation around the problem 
problematic stuff in that surrounding race Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is that if we're looking at it, like if we're using it as a lens to observe some stuff about our world, we can still love parts of the show. Um, I think the important part, right, is to be recognizing what is problematic about it. Right. Cultivating that awareness is really key in responsible viewership, I guess. Yeah. And there's uh, there's a quote, if you don't mind. There's, I don't mind. There's a quote right before it that I think is pretty amazing, too, that talks about their um, their discussion of the Whedon verse rather than Joss Whedon specifically, um, which I'm going to read because I think it's Please. important um, with, with relation to this conversation. So the book, the book reads, There are limits to holding Whedon solely responsible for Whedon verse content due in no small part to the highly collaborative nature of most projects we refer to as Whedon verses. This is not a discussion about Joss Whedon as an individual, nor about any one writer, director, producer actor it's about the works themselves the power they have over us and the power we have over them by demonstrating critical race theory as a viewer's tool for social justice we hope to turn the conversations away from individual blame and back onto the issues of race and representation onto the larger cultural patterns of oppression in which our beloved characters inadvertently participate even when they don't mean to especially when they don't mean to because as we and our contributors demonstrate in the unintentional, we can see the institutional. Ooh, right? Praise. I'm really excited about this book, everyone. Um, I'm going to be reading it and, you know, probably pulling some of it into our conversations because I think it's, I mean, it's already fascinating. It's already helping me to understand some of the feelings that I have, but I couldn't put words to, which mm-hmm. is really the beauty of like writing and art uh, is that it gives a voice to the things we can't express ourselves. So I think like, you know, you and I, Jenny, we sit in here and we're like, we love this show and there's problems, but oh, we're confused, which is kind of what Ann Giles was getting at. Right, right. Um, And thankfully we have, you know, these wonderful people and editors who've put this together that I think are illuminating some of the power that we have over this and the power that we have in looking at it and saying, well, what's in it? And what does that mean that that's here? What does that mean that we've watched how many episodes now of of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and we've seen almost all white people, right? Mm-hmm. What is that? How is that reflecting what is institutional in our society and mm-hmm. what does it mean? So, um, and Giles, perhaps that will help you a little bit in opening up a conversation with your partner because I do think that... Um, that you can love something and still say there are parts of it that are problematic. Yes. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Also, I think it's important to keep in mind that everybody has different limits and boundaries when it comes to their comfort level around this stuff, right? Um, Everybody is experiencing art and, and film and TV and music and books through their own 
personal lens through the filter of their individual experience. Right. So not everyone needs to feel like it's okay that it's problematic and they can watch it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like Kristen and I started watching The Walking Dead and like around season three, she was like, I'm out. I cannot handle the gore. It was so gorily violent. And it just like, it just disturbed you and like you were like, okay, I have to, you know, put up a boundary this is not for me anymore whereas like i could watch that all day but we were watching (laughs) all day well (laughs) but then when we started watching making a murderer we got like four or five episodes in and it was me the like person who loves true crime and who loves reading like wikipedia articles about serial killers who said like whoa this is affecting my soul i can't watch these people be be uh, thrown about by a criminal justice uh, system malfunctioning mm-hmm. in a way that they don't even know they're being right. taken advantage of. This is like way too sad mm-hmm. and way too uh, like crushing. To me, that was like w- seeing a lot of gore. Yeah, yeah. And I think, right, it depends on your personal life experience, your identity and how that's shaped you over time. And it can also be at different points in your life. You know, you, you could have a time in yeah. your life when it's really hard for you to watch a particular thing. And at a different time in your life, you're like, actually, this isn't so hard for me to watch right now. Totally. Um, so I think, you know, being sensitive to that is really important when we talk about like, well, but why can't you just love it? It's like, well, for some people they can't. And that's, that's okay too. Yes. Okay, so shifting out of um, the serious space, though that was really fun. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that conversation. Um, I thought we could talk for a second about the fact that we've received several notes now from people who let us know that their children are <laughs> just loving the songs from season one. Wow. It's really exciting. So I'm going to read an email that like literally just came through um, just like today uh, from Amy D who says, Since the songs from season one have been in heavy rotation in my home for the last couple of months, I regularly receive requests from my four-year-old daughter for such songs as Welcome to the Hema, It's Harvest Time, Amy's Mom, There Was a Big Mess in Sunnydale, and Just Keep Farting. (laughs) I I love being able to share Buffy with her, even though it will be many years before she can watch the show. Now we just have to get her little brother on board. Um, So that's, that's fun from Amy D. And then Sierra V sent us a note as well. My almost three-year-old son, David, and I have been loving your songs from season one. In fact, today I was finally able to record him singing the song. He has dubbed his favorite. I've attached it here for you. So let's listen to three-year-old David's uh, version of uh, There's a Demon on the Internet. Yes. What's the actual name of that song? I, Robot Eugene. I, Robot Eugene. There's a demon. There's a demon. There's a demon. The internet. Oh my god. Yeah, that slayed us. Get it? I get it. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, also, uh, Jenny, I don't know if you have seen as much as I have seen, but after we did Inca Mummy Girl... About 7,000 people wanted us to know that they knew how Empata knew <laughs> that Empata was arriving at the train- bus station. <laughs> what a sentence. Thank you. They wanted us to know that they knew how Empata <laughs> knew that Empata had arrived at the bus station, I think is what you just said. Yes. Uh, yes. And a lot of people um, let us know that, of course... Silly Fools, 
Empada knew because Empada had made many mentions of the fact that she could hear what was going on around her um, when she was mummified. Right, right. So she was listening when they had that conversation over the over the sarcophagus. Wow, do you know what this reminds me of? What? Oh, did you ever watch Tales from the Crypt? Yes, but I not a lot of them. Why? Um, there was one, I would watch Tales of the Crypt at my dad's house because mm-hmm. he had HBO mm-hmm. uh, and I would stay up late after <laughs> parents went to sleep and I would secretly watch Tales from the Crypt and there was a one episode where a guy dies, but he can still, you're like in his head and you can hear his thoughts, oh, but he can still I I remember experience and feel and see everything, everything that's going on while he's being like autopsied and right. prepared for burial and stuff. Ugh. That's always maybe that episode or just in the collective consciousness of our generation, I feel like made me afraid and has made other people afraid of going under um, like for an mm. operation or whatever. Yeah, that yeah. There's this like huge fear that you will be able to feel stuff, but you won't <sighs> be able to say uh help yeah right no yeah sorry horrible this is taking a horrible turn oh god let's let's quickly veer this car to another course next email this is actually so this is jeff h i don't know if you remember jeff h from the beginning who's the entire content of jeff h's original email was the subject was hanging upside down the body was i got 20 hours another says 24 i'd say go for 23 and see what happens laughy emoji this next email from jeff h subject line transylvania email body is not a country. It is part of Romania, LOL. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Jeff H., I love your brevity. Uh, you're Just get cut right to the to core the of things. To the pointedness. Yes. Uh, so sorry. Sorry, Transylvania. Sorry, Romania. <laughs> no offense. Yes. Now, our next email comes from Rachel B., who writes, I wanted to respond to the conversation you were having in Some Assembly Required. You were discussing night shoots and the cemetery with Rhea and Cameron. I'm pretty sure... That while they did build a cemetery in season two on the WB lot, it was outdoors in the parking lot. So any night shoots in the graveyard, while not on location technically, did take place at night. Looking into it further, they continued to do some location shooting in a local L.A. cemetery because the one on the lot was very small, fairly small, and would not accommodate certain shots. There you have it. (sighs) The scoop. The more you know. The cemetery scoop. And that that's helpful because I think the reason we were talking about it was because we were interested in the lighting. Cameron and Rhea specifically, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. were intrigued about, you know, it looking like nighttime and was it nighttime yeah. and they were outside or what was going on there. So Yeah, I remember reading like a or maybe hearing in the commentary tracks or something, a recurring theme we shot until like four or five in the morning. Like we had very long days, late shoots. Yeah. Working hard. Slayer's job is not easy. No. Did you have a joke you wanted to make? You looked at me like you had I, yeah, a Yeah, I had like, like 75 dad jokes came into my mind and left very quickly. <laughs> okay, great. Um, okay, so next from Grace P. How does Angel shave? Uh, Grace says, hey, hey there, Jenny and Kristen, N-O-E-L-I-N-E. Spelled out phonetically. Spelled out phonetically. Um, I was listening to Buffering a couple of episodes ago on a long drive back from a gig. Um, when your question on the mechanics of angel shaving and how it's done without a reflection got me overthinking is the answer that vampires hair doesn't grow. Hair growth is presumably a living bodily function like breathing. So it would make sense that it wouldn't happen in the undead. I can't remember from my extensive watching of Buffy, uh, a time that angels hairstyle changed in all those years, unintentional burn, but his... <laughs> But his and Spike's hair and beard situations are depicted as pretty different when they were alive. Even as Spike's hair changes in later years, it doesn't actually appear to get any longer. 
So. Okay, so this is interesting because let's say, hypothetically, Mm -hmm. that vampire hair does not increase in length. It ceases to grow. They do not need haircuts. They don't need to trim their nails. Right. Angel's 241 years old. So? So imagine, I don't know, hair Like what would happen lasting to hair? 240 years. And, and also, like, think about how much hair... Listen. It's not think about how much it's hair not fittics, Jenny. It's metaphytics. Metaphytics. <laughs> but how much hair comes out of your head, like, in the course of a day? Like, we're constantly, like, shedding hair and it's constantly regrowing. Yeah, but probably their entire physical makeup has more. Their aura... Yeah. As per earlier, just holds the hair in. Yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm willing to accept it. Metaphytics. Metaphytics. All right. And I think um, the last the last email we have here that we're going to answer on this episode um, is, how do I get my boyfriend to watch? Uh, this question was submitted by Amanda G., Amanda G says, Jenny, I was curious, how did you get Kristen into the show? Buffy is my favorite show of all time, but I can't seem to get my boyfriend to watch it with me. We both love sci-fi and fantasy, but he seems to have a prejudice towards Buffy. I always make people watch Hush, season four, episode 10, as an intro because it's the first episode I watched and it got me hooked, but it didn't work with him. Any suggestions on another episode I could show him? We've been together for years and nothing has worked. Oh, Amanda G. Listen, <laughs> I can't say I don't know your boyfriend, mm-hmm. but um, you might want to like think about what what type of fantasy and sci-fi and horror he's the most into. Like wherever you can find sort of like oh, like an overlap. Yeah, something that like it's just some you got to trick. Like him. maybe he's really into praying mantises. Yes, for example. Exactly. I mean, I think I I believe this show in particular really works as a complete unit I start know. to finish and and but it was hard to get Kristen on board for season one for the first watch through so mm-hmm. we were able to start season two because she had a foundational understanding of like kind of who the characters were vaguely and like what their relationship was to one another right right, right. and I and I know no one asked me but as <laughs> no one asked I- you <laughs> um no but I think that like as the person who did get sucked into Buffy for me, it was much more committing to the characters that like than anything I could have gotten from one episode. Yes. So I think what you need to do is bargain with your boyfriend. Yes, trade. Trade whatever. I don't know. Maybe he's like dying for you to watch Firefly. Like Jenny really wants me to watch Firefly. Yes. I keep trying. It's not working out for me. Um, but like maybe he wants you to watch something else, and so you bargain with him not for an episode, but I would say for a season. Or two. Well, let's not get carried away. I, I think that you I think you can cover major ground in a season. I think if you watch all of season two and you still have no interest in the arc of these characters, then fine. Screw you. <laughs> you know, but it's really to me it's about the arc more than it is about a single standalone episode. Yeah, as great as Hush is, or as great as certain standalone episodes uh, I can think of are. Right. There's nothing that, like, I can't imagine experiencing those episodes without going on the journey that yeah, comes before you, them. Yeah, because you don't know the characters. And there's a certain, I think throughout the series, there's a certain, like, cheesiness level to some of the dialogue. And mm-hmm. Buffy always has these quips. And, you know, the monsters are not always, I mean, Hush is actually, <laughs> Hush is actually the most, I think, I think the most terrifying um, demon. What do you call it? Whatever. But 
you know, there's a lot I think that you can pull out of it and standing alone would look a little silly or would look like, you know, oh, that wasn't really written well. But once you're in, once you're immersed in the whole arc of it, you know that that's actually the character. That's actually the way the character would talk. And right, right, right. It, it reads much more real um, than, yeah, than anything you're going to do on a one-off. Yes. So you got to convince your boyfriend to watch all of season blank. You may need to make some kind of sacrifice, Amanda G. Yeah. But perhaps, we believe in you. Perhaps like breakfast in bed for every Sunday that he continues watching the series. Ooh. You know? Yeah, I like the weekly reinforcement reward yeah. thing. And then, but then the moment that he becomes uh, visibly engaged, no more no breakfast in bed. <laughs> God, your poor boyfriend. What a horrible emotional journey to go on. Sorry, boyfriend. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So... That is a small selection of um, emails that we have received since our last mailbag episode. Mm-hmm. If you want to contribute to the conversation um, and perhaps be featured on, on a mailbag episode in the future, you can always email us at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. Heck yeah. And we do want to let you know, um, we said this at the top of the episode, but we are doing a um, continuation of this episode, an additional mailbag, where we're going to be talking about all manner of things. Let's see what we have on the on the docket here. There's some uh, conversation about Angel, the way that Angel is lit. Uh, conversation about um, religious versus secular. What's what's a better mm. life? A secular... In the realm of the the Buffy. Yeah, in the realm. But I think yeah. we're going to talk about it outside oh. of that. Uh, I love some, you, Cordelia. Some problematic Cordelia. Some people Ow. called us out on loving Cordelia, perhaps a little too much. Gas. <laughs> How dare you? Conversation about the red paint on Buffy and Spike's face uh-huh. uh, at the same time, um, and more. So, if you want to hear that episode, if you are a ten dollar patron of ours um, over on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash BufferingCast, that episode will be up for you this week as well. Hell yeah. Um, and and just to repeat, if any of those were your questions, we will also email you personally the link. For sure. <laughs> um, okay, so we should we should probably remind them about a few things before oh, we yes. get to the patrol cat jingle. Oh, yeah. <gasps> Did you know? Did you know that you were getting a patrol cat jingle on this here episode? <laughs> Jenny, do you want to just give them a brief uh a brief overview of who Patrol Cat is. Just in, in case, case you have skipped over for some reason mm-hmm. our previous discussions of Patrol Cat. Patrol Cat is a cat that lives <laughs> in our neighborhood, doesn't seem to belong to anyone, is uh, muscular uh-huh. and strong. And every day, just as the sun is sinking below the mountains, we're, our house is on a corner and he comes up one street, hangs a sharp right, walks <laughs> across our front steps and our little uh, front doorway area. Then he like, does another quick little L past my office window, stops and looks at me, and then continues on his journey. He's got a routine. And he's on his way somewhere. It's very important. He doesn't have time to explain it to you. He's Patrol Cat. Wow. And the thing about Patrol Cat is that we've had so many people over, and Patrol Cat has actually come by, but they have not seen Patrol Cat. Because the guest seating area is just far enough away from the window that he's usually like just under window visibility for them or because patrol cat is a figment patrol cat is real patrol cat is real actually yesterday i was sitting at my desk and i saw patrol cat push his way into our neighbor's basement window and i like (laughs) panicked about it for a second for for patrol cat and for the neighbors but Mm. then like literally 10 seconds later he must have been like this dank dark hole that i've crawled into is not fun and so he came back out but I do want to let you know that I watched that whole thing through a cement wall with tiny little square holes so I couldn't get a picture of it the whole time. Because there's no proof. There's no proof of Patrol Cat. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, before we go, 
to the patrol cat jingle. Yes. We want to remind you that two things are happening at the start of March. Well, many things probably are happening at the start of right. March, but two specific to buffering the Vampire Slayer. On March 5th, we will be doing a Stage It show. You can find out all the details at stageit.com slash buffering. Cast. Cast. Okay, stages.com slash buffering cast. Uh, we'll be playing through all of season one and some of the new season two songs. Woo! It's going to be so fun. Hooray! And then on March 10th, we'll be doing a live synchronized Buffy watch of the pilot, Welcome to the Hellmouth, over on our Facebook page via Facebook Live, facebook.com slash buffering cast. Yes. I cannot think of a better way to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Buffy the Vampire Slayer's first episode airing. Hell yeah. And it's totally free on Facebook, so um, put that in your calendars and come and join us. Please. And welcome to the Hellmouth. Um, a couple of other Patreon-specific things. Um, we are doing our first Q&A video, so if you are a patron of ours at the $10 level, there's a post in Patreon, or you can send us an email letting us know that you're a $10 patron. Send us any question you want about us, about our relationship to the series, about our relationship to each other. Who knows? Ask yeah, us what yeah, you want. Yeah. Whatever you want. And we'll be making a video for the start of March um, for all of you answering those questions. Also want to let you know, so many people have been dying to know what did Jenny Owen Young's spoil? <laughs> oh, what God. did she spoil? What did she we do? We must know. What did she do? So many people have been like pleading, like, I've watched the whole series seven times. I know everything. You can't spoil it for me. Please DM <laughs> me. Please email me. And I don't mean to take delight out of your suffering, but it has been kind of enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how excited everyone is that you fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> so, I'm not. So for all of our patrons, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, no matter who you are, um, in the coming weeks, we're going to uh, edit together that uh, spoiler that Jenny did. We'll take the moment from the show. Um, we'll discuss what happened. And we will say 40 times before it starts, there's a spoiler coming. Ah! Um, <laughs> Look away. Yeah. So you can get that over at Patreon again, any level of uh, of funding gets yeah we'll, you we'll get that up soon gets you that sweet sweet spoiler <laughs> um so yeah this has been great truly delightful i've had a good time thanks so much for listening i am jenny owen youngs and you can follow me on twitter at jenny owen youngs or listen to a playlist of non-buffy songs that i've written that i've curated just for you guys over at jenny owen slash buffering and i am Kristen russo you can follow me on twitter at Kristen nolin as we've already discussed, that is K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. It is not Kristen Online. If any of you have written to me to tell you, tell me that you think that it was Kristen Online. It is not. <laughs> Everyone thinks that it's Kristen Online. It's not. It's Kristen Nolene. <laughs> um, or you can read more about my work with LGBTQ plus communities um, over at everyoneisgay.com and mykidisgay.com. Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Facebook and Twitter at buffering cast you can support our work by going over to patreon.com slash buffering cast um and pledging a dollar five dollars ten dollars or you know if you want to a million nobody's gonna Ooh, stop you a million dollars a month that would really we would be set we would be good i to think. just keep making this podcast yes. oh yeah we could make this po we could do this podcast every day yes we we pledge that if anyone pledges a million dollars <laughs> a month we will do this podcast every day Wow. Uh, right? Holy shit. But you have to really make a commitment, though. You can't just do one million and then disappear forever. Yeah, we'll yeah, only yeah, do yeah. it every day as the millions continue to yes, roll in. Yes, $12 million <laughs> a year. Yeah, yeah. Not a bad, not a bad salary for a podcast about Buffy. <laughs> <laughs>
No. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Anyhow, if you don't have a million dollars or even a dollar, that's totally cool. Go on over to iTunes if you have a minute and leave us a review, especially if you like us, because we like the reviews that are good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've said it all, and I won't say any more. Till next time. Oh, mailbag. Here he comes down the street, across our porch, on his little feet, looking around, checking the neighborhood, keeping us safe from the coyotes, from the coyotes, oh yeah, patrol cat, patrol cat is real. Once upon a time, there was a girl who dreamed of flying through the stars, who dared to resist injustice, who lived to a beat and a rhythm that was all her own. Her name was Chloe, Frida, Oprah, Celia Cruz, Josephine, Greta, Ruth, Alice. One day, she wondered, could today be the beginning of something new? This was her one opportunity to do something, something big. So that's exactly what she did. Along the way, she discovered that she wasn't alone. Her body felt strong, her mind sharp. She was prepared to work as hard as it took. Her words were making a real change, and she felt powerful. I'm Gail King. I'm Andrea Day. I'm Diane Gibbons. I'm Lindsay Vaughn. I'm Jamila Jamal. I'm Anita Hill. I'm Brenda Chapman. I'm Alana Glazer. And this is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio.